Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Jenny Fields, author of the new novel, Atomic Love. Some of Jenny's previous novels have included The Age of Desire, Lily Beach, and Crossing Brooklyn Ferry. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your novel, Atomic Love, yet, how would you describe the novel? Well, it's about a woman who was uh, a physicist in, at, at the Manhattan Project in, uh, during the war and helped to create the atomic bomb. So she was involved in the original um, atomic reaction. And uh, after that, when the bomb was dropped, she was deeply depressed by that. She never expected it would be used. And a lot of scientists didn't. They thought it was just going to be a bargaining chip. Or, you know, they, they knew that the Germans were trying to create their own atomic bomb. And the thought was that we would be both equal and therefore nobody would ever drop the bomb. So when a lot of people have been killed because of what she created, she's very depressed. And right after that, her lover, who is also her colleague, uh, betrays her and she loses her job. So now it's 1950. She's working at Marshall Field's department store selling jewelry, and she's like a, a very accomplished physicist. And uh, the man who betrayed her is trying to get back in touch with her to tell her something. She doesn't want anything to do with him, but then she's approached by the FBI who say, please, the, uh, the agent says, please get, get in touch with him. We would really like you to spy on him because we think he's selling atomic secrets to the Russians. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write Atomic Love? Well, there were a few things that came into play. One was that my mother was a scientist during World War II and herself a very accomplished scientist. She did cancer research as a biochemist. And, you know, what happened was when the men came back from war, the women were encouraged to give up their jobs. So when my mother married, they just encouraged her to quit. And she really didn't want to. She was very excited about the work she was doing. And, but she did, as all, almost all women did from that era. And she regretted it all her life. So I wanted to write about a female scientist of that era. Also, her cousin, whom she walked to um, the University of Chicago with every day, um, had a job she couldn't talk about. She kept it completely silent, and it just drove my mother nuts because they were best <laughs> friends. And, uh, you know, it's something that confused her for years until later she discovered that her cousin was working on the Manhattan Project as a clerical worker, but still there was this lack of silence on what they were doing. It was so important to the war effort in their mind. So that really intrigued me, and I wanted to write about that um, I also wanted to write about that era because, you know, a after the war, people came back and they, you know, the 1950s were thought of as the time to have families and be happy. But people had come back from the war incredibly scarred. And um, both my main characters, uh, you know, Rosalind, who was, you know, depressed by the bomb dropping, betrayed by her lover, she is you know, really scarred by what happened during the war. And Charlie, the other main character, the FBI agent, 
is a man who was in a prisoner of war camp in Japan for years and um, was horribly tortured and has lost the use of one of his hands and has PTSD and is really trying to make life work for him and um, trying to find his way in the world again. And I think, you know, people were supposed to be happy, but they weren't really happy. There's a lot of silence and unhappiness underneath, you know, outward signs of happiness. So I wanted to write about that. And that all came together in Atomic Loss. So what are, you, what are your earliest memories of reading and books? Ah, I loved books really from an early, early age. And I remember when I wanted to be a writer was I was six years old and I was reading my first chapter book and it was called Twig and by a woman named Elizabeth Orton Jones about a little girl who lived in a tenement and she found a tin can that had been cut up the side so it kind of looked like a, the opening of a teepee and she puts it in her backyard hoping to catch an elf and I was so intrigued with this that I sat down and pretty much imitated the whole thing and wrote my own version of it. And I knew from that moment on I wanted to be a writer. Error to eventually writing and getting your first novel published? Well, I, uh, when I was in college, I started as an art major. I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I started as an art major. That was another joy of mine with painting. And, you know, after a while, I realized it was my writing classes that were really hitting home for me. So I switched to being a writing major. And uh, after I graduated, I got into the Iowa Writers Workshop, which uh, is a famous writing school at the University of Iowa. And if you get in there, you go because thousands of people apply and only 30 people get in. So I was pretty excited about getting in. And after I graduated from there, I had a grant for a year to live in an art colony. I started to publish short stories, and I'd published quite a lot of short stories. And then I got married, and there was this part of me that said, oh, you just can't do this anymore. I don't know what that was, and it, I, I write about that in my first book, Lily Beach, about getting through that. And, um, and so by the time that my daughter was six years old, I published my first novel, and I was 40 years old. It took me that long to get there from all the short stories I'd written. And after that, I have written a novel every few years. Um, I was working full-time. I was in advertising. I was a single mom. And I was, you know, a creative director in advertising. So extremely busy. But I still found time to write because that was really my passion, my avocation. Well, you just mentioned that you attended the Iowa's Writers Workshop, which, as you said, is very famous. and. <laughs> It's almost mythic at this point. What was your experience with the Iowa Writers Workshop? Well, you know, it's interesting, and I, I'm sure that a lot of my classmates would say the same thing. It wasn't the way the workshop was run that mattered at all. In fact, it wasn't particularly well run at the time I was there. It was the amazing writers that I was there with, and we all encouraged and and helped and uh sometimes discouraged each other. And, you know, it was, that was a good experience for me because of the people there. And then honestly, it's been a key to a door ever since, you know, when I was ready to look for an agent, 
she paid more attention because I went there. When I originally published my short stories, they paid more attention. So, you know, when people hear you've gone there, they they listen, they watch, they want to read what you're writing. And and that matters. I guess it really just like going to Harvard or something if you're a writer. And so have you stayed in touch with some of those classmates over the years? Oh, I have. And I feel very lucky to be in touch with them. And, you know, we are we are still a group. You know, there's still a sense of we were there. We have our memories together. And uh, it's great because with Facebook, of course, it's easier to stay in touch with people who are from a different part of your life. Sure. Well, as you just mentioned, you you wrote your first novel while you were a creative director for an advertising agency in New York City, which is a very busy job. How did you balance that fiction writing with such a demanding job? Well, it was very tough because, like I said, I was also a single mom. So what I would do is I worked all day. I came home. I tried to have dinner with my daughter. And after I put her to bed, I worked out for an hour. And from 11 o'clock till 1.30 in the morning is when I wrote for years. And then I got up at 6.10 to walk her to school. So I didn't get a lot of sleep back then, but I, I did get my writing in somehow. <laughs> that's that's a, a, a that's dedication. <laughs> so, yeah. So well, if you if you love something, you find time for it. I think. Sure, sure. So, what was the writing process like for Atomic Love for you? Once you had the initial idea, do you just follow the narrative where it leads? Are you someone who writes and or or plots and outlines before you start writing? I never plot an outline before I start writing because for me, it's a journey. And if you know where the journey is going to end completely, if you know the whole story, why write it? I, I like to discover it. I also like the plot to come out of the characters. I'm a much more character-driven writer than I am a plot-driven writer, although this is probably the plottiest book I've ever written. It still is character-driven, essentially. And so um, I I give my characters a problem to solve, and I let them solve it, and I get to watch to see what happens. And that's much more satisfying for me. I have to say that when I started writing this book, I wrote the first 100 pages in a month. I don't know what came over me, but I just immediately had to get this on paper, and the character of Charlie, who is the FBI agent, came to me. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whole cloth. I knew everything about him from the very beginning. I have no idea why. I knew how tall he was and that he had blue eyes and that he'd been a prisoner of war in Japan and that he had an injured hand and uh, uh, he and he that he was Polish and had grown up in the Polish neighborhood in Chicago. He just was very, very vivid to me. Um, but I do tend to write in layers. I I write and then I deepen it and then I deepen it and I deepen it more. I understand backstories more as I rewrite. I rewrote this book 10 times. I'm not kidding. I counted them. I know 10 seems like a perfectly round number. It just turned out to be that way, but it was 10 times. Wow. So what kind of research did you do for this era of American history with the Manhattan Project? Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, I started learning about the atomic bomb. I read a bunch of books about that, including Richard Rhodes' masterwork, The Making of the Atomic Bomb. I uh, studied about spies, uh, atomic spies of that era, and there were actually was an atomic spy in Chicago who who was at the University of Chicago and never caught. Uh, but they found, you know, we all found out about him when the Venona Project, which was an encryption project where we learned how to decode the Russian messages, uh, was released and declassified in 1995, uh, we found out that there had been a spy and he was never caught in his lifetime. So I read about that. One of the most interesting things I read after I began was um, oral histories of uh, men who had been in Japanese prisoner of war camps. And these were so vivid and so painful and so interesting. I really love reading oral histories because it's what people remember that is the most vivid. And um, some of these were wrenching and extraordinary. I didn't use any specifically, but they really did help me set the scene for Charlie. And that was great. And then beyond that, I read newspapers of the era. I read magazines of the era. They tell you so much, you know, even when you read the recipes from that time, <laughs> even when you see what the clothes are, or the ads in the women's magazine that are saying things like, please, your man, he'll be so happy. You know, it really tells you a lot about attitude. And so I always, always, always read them uh, when I'm doing a historic novel. So are you working on another novel now? I am. Um, I am working on a novel. Part of it is set during the civil rights movement um, in Nashville during the lunch counter sit-in. Um, and part of it is set in the 1990s. And it has to do with a stolen painting and a lot of family secrets. That sounds great. Well, given your success to date with your novels published, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? I always say the only difference between a writer and a non-writer is that the writer sat down and did it. It's hard work, 
but you've got to get it on paper. You've got to sit down and do it. And once beyond that, I mean, I think it's really helpful to have feedback. So if you're somebody who hasn't been trained as a writer, get into some kind of writing group uh, so that you can have other people give you feedback, take a writing class. Um, all of that will be helpful. And it's great to be in a community of writers where, you know, people will tell you what's working, what isn't working. I think that that can be really useful for for new writers and, and even old writers. It's great to get feedback. So are you still writing short stories? You know, I haven't written short stories in years, I have to say. I um, I so enjoy writing novels. And I love the layering and the complexity, the depth and the, you know, twist of the story that I can get in uh, when I write a novel. At the same time, I love reading great short stories. If the short story is wonderful, it can be just as hard to write as a novel in some ways. Um, and there have been some real masters of short stories that I enjoy reading, like Updike and Cheever, um, you know, and, and others that are more recent. But I, uh, no, I haven't written any short stories in a long time. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? You know, it's so weird when people ask me that question because I completely blank out. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thing about about titles. It's very hard. Um, I read uh, The Dutch House by Ann Patchett. I enjoyed that very much. Um, I read, uh, you know, I was asked by the Wall Street Journal to recommend a spy novel. And I all I could think of was James Bond. And so I read a book uh, by William Boyd, who is a Scottish author, called Restless about a woman who was trained to be a spy. But it's a, it's a beautiful uh, literary novel, and it's just great. I really enjoyed that. Um, and it, beyond that, I can't tell you. I'd have to look at my bookshelf. I, I completely can't remember. <laughs> Not a problem. Where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? Um, I recommend they go to jennyfield.com. All my books are listed there with information. Uh, they can also find me at Jenny Fields Author on Facebook, and they can find me at Jenny Fields Author on Instagram. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Jenny Fields, author of the new novel, Atomic Love. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Jenny, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you, Jeff. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Atomic Love by Jenny Fields, read by Cassandra Campbell, available from PRH Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. The hot touch of the city still on her. Rosalind unfastens her stockings and drops them in the bathroom sink with a handful of washing soda. A habit from the war years. She made it through 1942 to 1944 with two stalwart pairs, because she treated them like rare orchids. Jesus. She knew girls who had to draw lines up the backs of their legs because they'd torn their last pair and couldn't buy new. Lines that by 2 p.m. were smeared like lipstick after a desperate kiss. One didn't lose the feel of the war, the rationing, the terror of opening the newspaper each morning and seeing the worst. 
Rosalind would never forget the sting in her throat watching the man next door weep as he changed the blue star on his son's in-service flag to gold. There were no sons in her family, but she and Louisa did their bit. For a while, Louisa polished torpedoes in a defense plant. And what Rosalind did, one might say, ended the war altogether. But she knows it will haunt her until she dies. These days, she stands behind the used and antique jewelry counter at Marshall Field's department store, sorting and selling. There are lives entwined in the artifacts she peddles, tucked behind an oval of glass on the back of a Victorian brooch, a perfectly braided plate of silver hair from someone's mother, a ring glittering with a row of gems, a ruby, emerald, garnet, amethyst, another ruby, and a diamond. The first letters of each spelling regard. Georgian men gave these rings to women they loved but couldn't marry. Rosalind can't help wondering about a woman who'd wear evidence of love she could never fully possess. Rosalind is a scientist. After the war, returning GIs took the important jobs back from women. You can go now, we've returned. Chances are she'd have lost her spot even if things hadn't gone wrong with Weaver. It doesn't mean she doesn't miss her days in the lab. On her way home, stepping out of fields tonight, tired and sad, she passed an extraordinarily tall man leaning against the summer frolic window. He was openly staring at her with remarkable blue eyes. At Wabash, she glimpsed him again. When she crossed Erie, there he was, his fedora pulled low over his brow, hurrying to catch the light. Broad-shouldered, powerful-looking, with a purposeful stride. That's when Rosalind noticed he was pressing his left wrist against his ribs, like a woman holding a purse to keep it from being stolen. A war injury, maybe? He must have trailed her onto Lakeshore Drive, for when she turned down the street to her entrance, she caught a flash of blue eyes watching from across the street. Frank, her doorman, ushered her in. Miss Porter, best time of year, isn't it? Maybe that fellow was just going her way, a coincidence. All through the war, men flirted with her until they found out what she did. Braininess always blunted her appeal. Now that she's 30 years old and still unmarried, people have begun to call her handsome. She hates the damn word. It would bolster her self-esteem to have a stranger find her attractive. Her biggest fear is that she will become that woman, the one who lives alone, whom no one notices when she walks down the street. A woman who's become invisible, negligible. Poor Miss Porter. She never had much of a life. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? 
We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to trylifemd.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.